0: You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Finally, some good news. We live in a world where we are seemingly bombarded by bad news. You can even just see it in the, the... Prayerless list this morning that I feel like we are all just heavy there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff and I'm thankful that we have some good news amen, amen. that we don't have to live in a world where things are just always bad that even when things are always bad that we know that our God is good Last week we wrapped up Mark chapter 9 and we saw Jesus focusing in on on explaining to us that we should be people who are humble, not living for things on this earth, not living for the earthly kingdom, but focusing, shifting our focus to the eternal, to the things that will not pass away. We pick up this week in Mark chapter 10. It says, and he left there and he went to the region of Judea, Beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up to him in order, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this, wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. This is not like an easy passage. No pastor's like, hey, let's talk about divorce today. That's not like a thing that pastors you know, hope and dream to to preach on, especially because it has become such a thing that has impacted our culture, that so many people are affected and impacted by this, and this is not something that people are like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. And obviously, this is not the only thing that we're going to talk about today, but I don't want to just leave it out. We're not going to just not do things because they're hard. So we're not going to not look at this passage because it can be a difficult passage. So let's look at what this is. So what happens is that these pe- the Pharisees come and they try to trick Jesus. And in this account, Jesus leaves out the phrase other than in a matter of adultery. Other times Jesus is talking about this. He does say it is permissible under uh, unfaithfulness to get a divorce. But in this passage, in this the Conversation he's having—that's like a well-agreed-upon stance that people in Jerusalem, even people in who were Gentiles, everyone in the cult, different cultures around them agreed that marital faithfulness, unfaithfulness was grounds for divorce. So he leaves that out here, but in other places we see him mention it. So I did want to point that out. Um, but what happens in this passage is they come and they try. To, to trick Jesus, to try to get him to go against the Mosaic law. And what Jesus says is, listen, the only reason divorce was ever instituted was because of how hard-hearted and stubborn you guys were. That's the only reason we ever allowed it in the first place. And when he says that, he—he's not. when Moses allowed this to happen, it was not a spiritual thing. The divorce was not a spiritual issue. This was just a legal precedent. He said, you know what? You want a legal way to divorce your wife. Here you go. Here is a legal way for you to do this. But I think as we can all agree, just because something is legal doesn't make it good. And that's what happens here. And Jesus is pointing out, look, just because it's legal doesn't mean it's what God wanted. Doesn't mean it's what God's plan was. What God has put together, let no man separate and what's difficult about this passage is that this has become a sin that is largely accepted by much of the church and when i say accepted i don't mean that we would all say yeah divorce is okay but it's become one of those things that we don't talk about because it's a bigger issue than we think because there are things we talk about loudly and things that we don't talk about loudly Things like pride, selfishness, greed, gossip, and judgment are all things that we struggle with in the church and we're fairly quiet about those things. No one goes and makes posters to try to make gossip illegal. No one goes and makes posters to try and make being selfish illegal. But we get loud about other issues that aren't a big thing we struggle with. The church has a history of being against Things that they don't struggle with. Things like same-sex attraction, drug or alcohol abuse or, or stealing are things that it's easy to say, oh, well, that's wrong because we don't struggle with it ourselves. But when it comes to divorce, people will probably be like, well, let's not talk about that. It might make some people uncomfortable. But sin should make us uncomfortable. All sin should make us Uncomfortable. We shouldn't have sins that are easier to talk about than others because it should cause us to recognize our own brokenness. Romans chapter 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. The first thing we see here, I think that we can take away from this passage is a reminder that we all have sinned. And it's important for us to recognize the sin in our own life. This message is, is, is not to point out the sin in other people and I don't want it to feel that way. And this is a big problem of what the world has with the church is that we're so quick to call out the sins of others and we're really quiet about our own sins. We don't even acknowledge the things we struggle with but we're quick to to call out and tell someone, hey, what you're doing, what you did is wrong. And that's why the world sees us as hypocrites. When what I have done isn't that bad, but what you have done is awful. That's what makes us look like hypocrites. If you look down on others for battling addiction, but you live a life full of worry, you don't have room to look down on the addict because you don't trust the Lord. We all struggle with sin. We shouldn't be quick to call out the sins of others because we should be more burdened by our own sin. We should be hesitant to say, you shouldn't do that because of the sins that we have committed. Uh, When my sister and I were growing up, we sat across from each other at the dinner table. It's the way we sat for my whole life. We sat across from each other. I remember when we were little, We would be praying before dinner, and you know you have your eyes closed, and you do that thing where you're like, look up. Did they have their eyes closed? And then I would say, we would get done. I'd say, Madison didn't have her eyes closed, and my parents would say, well, how did you know that? It's like, I just knew it. I could tell. Well, I opened my eyes to see if she had her eyes open. I was just trying to see if, if she would, I was just trying to, and that's what we do. Is that we try to call out the sins of others and totally miss the fact that we have our own. We have to be careful not to do that because that's when the world looks at us and says, You're a hypocrite. Because you want to loudly tell everyone about all of the things that I've done wrong, but you don't want to acknowledge that what you've done is wrong. How many of you guys have sinned this week? How many of you guys have sinned in the last 24 hours? So none of us should be more concerned about the sins of others because we still have sins we are struggling with. We have to be careful not to point out, not to loudly proclaim the sins of other people because of our own sins. I say all that to say that, yes, what Jesus is talking about, that yes, outside of unfaithfulness, divorce is wrong. There are a lot of things that we do every day that are wrong, and thank God for forgiveness, amen? Let's continue in Mark chapter 10. It says, and they were bringing children to them that he might touch them. The disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant to them and said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Notice here that Jesus is talking about who will and who will not enter the kingdom of God. Let's continue. He was setting out on his journey and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God is it? it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is a culture that's very similar to ours, where the wealthy get special treatment. The wealthy, things are a little bit easier for the people who are wealthy. And they have so much privilege. And Jesus says, even the wealthy, it is difficult for them to get into heaven. And the disciples are like, well, if not the wealthy, then who? If not these people that everybody gives you know, a little bit extra grace to and everybody wants to be friends with and, and they get to kind of do whatever they want, if not them, then who can get into heaven? And Jesus says, it's not anything you can do. It's from God. It's not anything you earn. It's not based on your, your bank account. It's not based on your ability to, to save money or earn money. It's just from God. But I think Jesus' response to the rich man should hit us hard. Because I don't think we acknowledge how wealthy we are in this room. In 2017, 43% of people in the world lived on less than $2,000 a year. $2,000 a year. Conservatively, that puts everyone in this room in the top half of wealth. Less than 18% of people in the world own a car. Some of us have multiple cars. We have to recognize that we are wealthy. I've seen houses where people just have dirt floors and have to walk over a mile to get clean drinking water. All we have to do is turn on the faucet or grab a bottle of water. We are very wealthy. We have to acknowledge that. We have to learn how to let go of the stuff and hold on to God. Let go of the stuff and hold on to God. How many of you would be okay living without your stuff? There was a lot less people than I expected. I had a whole thing I was going to do, so I guess I'm just not going to do that. Um, I think some of us sitting in church would say, yes, I would, be, I would be okay living without my stuff. But if movers showed up at your house this week, you'd be like, no, no, not my pillow. Please don't take my pillow. I need my pillow. Please don't take my bed. No, 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 no. Please don't take the heating unit. I need the heat. I have so cold outside. Please don't take all my shoes. I need those. We've become tied to our stuff. Try to go without your phone for a week. See how you do. Some of you, my flip phone guys, you might have an easier time of it than I do, but. (laughs) Earlier in Mark, we saw Jesus send out the disciples. And he sends them out essentially with nothing. He's like, don't take extra clothes. Don't pack food. Just go and trust the Lord. I don't think we have that kind of faith because we've become so dependent on our stuff. I mentioned our, our prayer list earlier, earlier, tonight, earlier this morning, and although they are things that are heavy and sad, almost all of them are health-related because it seems like that's the only thing we depend on God for anymore. We don't depend on him for food. We don't depend on him for clothes or a place to stay. So the only thing that we go to God in prayer for is just for the one thing we can't do ourselves. I was talking to someone earlier this week and they said, I don't think we have enough prayer warriors. I think that is true. I think our faith has been weakened by our wealth. The problem isn't that the rich young ruler had too much stuff. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that he was too connected to it. He couldn't let it go when God himself, face to face, told him to. God is standing there and says, go sell your stuff, give it to the poor. He goes away broken because he knows he can't. Are you willing right now to leave your friends, your family, your comfort, to move to India, Ethiopia, or Haiti? If God wanted you, not just someone, if God wanted you to go, to leave your father and your mother and your brother and your sister and your grandkids and your family and your neighborhood and your house and your car and your phone and your pillow and your AC, could you do it? Or have we become too attached to our stuff? If we answer no, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. It's a lot harder than talking about divorce. We've become so attached to our own comfort. As we continue in Mark, Jesus warns his disciples, he tries to explain to them, I think this is the third time that he's like, hey guys, I just want you to know, I'm going to die. It's going to happen. And they still just don't get it, because this is how James and John respond in Mark 10, starting in verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. What a sentence to say to Jesus. First of all, I just want to laugh at that. We want you to do whatever we ask. Are you okay with that? Anyway, let's continue. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? And they'd said to him, we are able And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism, which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant, that's not a fun word, at James and John. And Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Even after Jesus tries to explain to them, hey guys, I'm going to die. And they're like, hey, When you become this great and powerful ruler, can we sit beside you? Can we be like number two and number three in command? And Jesus is like, man, you guys just are really not getting it. I think that can be comforting to us because I know for me sometimes I miss it. And here we see guys who walked physically with Jesus and they're just borderline clueless as to what is going on. But he he points out to them, he says, no, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. That's what Jesus calls us to do is to be servants. Not to elevate ourselves, but to lower ourselves. The idea that following Jesus will make your life easier, that you will find financial well-being or material comfort, that idea is a false gospel. It is not true. Matthew chapter 5 says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You don't get this magical Jesus umbrella that keeps you from experiencing bad things and stuffs money into your pockets. That's not what salvation is. It's not how it works. Jesus wants us to become servants, to let go of our comfort for the sake of others. His instruction wasn't just for the rich man to burn all of his stuff. It was to sell it, give the money to the poor. I think that we have a false sense of pride in following Jesus. That we puff ourselves up and we think we deserve something because of what we've done. Will the Lord take care of and provide for you? Yes. But don't expect to get wealthy. Our expectation should not be to be comfortable when it comes to being a servant, I think that we as Christians spend too much time waiting. We spend time on earth just waiting for heaven. Like, man, I can't wait for heaven. I'm really excited. I'm looking forward to it. But as I've been told by someone in this room who I will not point out, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. If you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean. We don't live that way spiritually. Spiritually we just we just kinda coast. We hit Sundays, we hit Wednesdays, and that's kinda we might have a Bible study a couple days during the week and it's kind of all we do is we're just kind of coasting, waiting, waiting for heaven. That's not the life of a servant. That's not the life of someone who is, is working for the kingdom. My grandfather's funeral was yesterday. He was 83 years old, served in ministry for 60 years. And I'll tell you, he was excited about heaven. I didn't have the opportunity to sit under his his preaching, but hearing the guys that I saw yesterday talk about how much he loved heaven was cool. But I'll tell you what, he didn't just wait. He wasn't just waiting for heaven. And although heaven is something to be excited about, he was a man who didn't wait for things to happen. He knew there was work to do. He was busy planting seeds. He was busy serving people. I know y'all don't know my grandfather, but I think there is a lesson to be learned from a life well lived. When we see someone who is not willing to just wait around for heaven to come, we are called to be at work. It's not waiting for heaven. We have to get busy serving, we have to let go of the temporary things of this earth, take a humble approach, and love people. Recognizing that our sin doesn't put us in a position to be above anyone. We should live as servants so that we can honor our King. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray for our hearts. That we would see the way that you lived, the way that you taught, and that we would take these lessons to heart. God, that although, although you point out that divorce is wrong, that we would be so hesitant to point out the sins of others. God, that we would be burdened by our own sin and we would live trying to gouge it out of our lives. We would live humbly knowing that we do not deserve anything because of what we've done. That we would let go of the things on this earth that we've become too attached to. Lord, forgive us for valuing our comfort over your kingdom. God, that we've become So independent from you that we think we can take care of things on our own. We don't, our faith is so small because we don't trust you for things because we have them already. Let us be thankful for how you have blessed us and the wealth that we have. Let us be generous. Let us not be attached to these things. Let us be attached to you. God, give us the minds of busy servants. That we wouldn't just be waiting around on your return, but that we would be busy working for your kingdom. Let us not be spiritually lazy. Let us be hard workers, putting others above ourselves and loving people well. It's your name we pray. Amen.